Welcome to EarthWise, the official podcast of the Maine Primitive Skills School. In this show, we will pass along information and story designed to increase your nature literacy and improve your fieldcraft. From survival to foraging, tracking to bow making, we will present skills that are relevant to you through the seasons, consistent with approaches found the world over from when our ancestors lived closer to the laws of nature. Hey folks, my name is Mike, and welcome back to our podcast. I have another special guest. This is two in a row, uh, and it couldn't be any more different in vibe. So buckle up. We're going in with Brian Manning of Snowwalker Outdoors, and we just got done with it. I thought was a pretty cool weekend, and I'm going to ask him how he felt about it, and hopefully he's blatant and hurtful and truthful. (laughs) <laughs> hey Mike, how you doing? Mr. Potato Head here. Oh, no. Nice to uh, nice to have you here, and uh, nice to be here. As a matter of fact, this is my first venture into podcast land, and uh, I got to tell you, probably by the end of this one, either nobody's going to listen to this ever again, or they're going to come back for more. Let's hope so. Let's <laughs> let's hope they go for more. And uh, you know, uh, the Mr. P- yeah, Mr. Potato Head. That's me. Thanks, so, buddy. I appreciate that very much. That that was a. Uh unintentional gaffe on well you have an amazing mustache kind sir thank you and thank it was you. the first thing that popped into my mind it's kind of like you know <laughs> 1970s bound chicka bound now i did not go there yeah. <laughs> anyway so winter foraging <laughs> yes. yeah dude like seriously like one of my things that i was really looking forward to was taking this class because at times trees for me hmm escape me i can read a dozen books i can look at a dozen pictures and uh, you know outside of the very basic ones that you always see all the time which you learn out of repetition um you need to 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 keep current on your keep going uh, those clicking was the sound of a tufel hunting a dog oh hello puppy underworld you know the puppy? Too, um, violent and ferocious nature <laughs> yeah. will probably Rend us limb from limb during this podcast. Yeah, I think she's looking for a biscuit. Go lay down. <laughs> Go lay down. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know you have to you have to keep current. You have to keep learning. You have to strive to keep learning, and you have to to look for things to help you advance your studies. So by the end of this class, I actually felt a little bit more confident in my skills of opening up my wide angle vision and looking through layers in the forest to actually achieve what I'm looking for. And we talked about transition areas and edge areas and, you know, um, the animals that are floating in those areas as well. So we touched on some tracking. Um, We saw a nice set of uh, bobcat tracks. We saw some red fox tracks. And um, so it was good. It It was really good. And then, of course, we went through our medicinals and our edibles and things and a lot of all that I did know, and then there was things that I didn't know that I can add to my toolbox, and it just worked out really, really well. So I was really happy with that. And you know what? That goes to bringing more knowledge to other people because now I can convey this to other people that I run into or people that I teach or, you know, just in casual conversation. So. Thanks. Thanks, man. For me, that helps. When I'm sharing, I'm always nervous that... There's this razor's edge, and it's invisible. There's no guardrails to guide you when you have a group of people with a vast difference in outdoor experience. So in this class, we had you, 
And you've been sled dogging for how long? Uh, I ran a sled dog team for 25 years. So 25 years in the bush in winter with sled dogs, bare minimal gear that you could put on a sled because every ounce counts. Um, you have your own program, right? Yep. Snow Walker yep. Outdoors. Yep. And you have your own instructional YouTube videos. Um, so you're on board in this class. That would be a shameless plug. Sorry to interrupt you on that, Mike. That would be Snow Walker 13. Oh, my apologies. And that would be on YouTube. And if you want to check out my website, I'll give you this really cool one because I'm poor. So I have to use a, a free website. So it's snowwalkeroutdoors.weebly.com. Once more, shameless plug for Mr. Potato Head, that's <laughs> snowwalkeroutdoors.weebly.com. Thanks. Nice. Okay, sorry to interrupt you, Mike. <laughs> Who was that masked man? <laughs> Who was that masked potato? Was that a boiled potato or a mashed potato? <laughs> oh, man. It was hard-boiled. <laughs> yeah, so um, then we have another gentleman who was here who hasn't had any woods experience. Yeah, Paul. And uh, to be able to balance the, the group because people were falling in between, had different interests. That's where, for me, the edge is and where I, where I get my engagement. I'm really interested in being able to reach as many people through experience and support as I possibly can and have them come out the other side feeling like they've got their time and their treasure's worth and that they walk away for the better, having tools that they can use. Um, how did that fall for you? Being in the, you know, you're... Also an instructor, you've been instructing for a long time, but now that you're in the in the student chair, looking around and making personal observations and assessment, how how do you think that landed overall? I think it landed well on a personal level. It when I go into a class, even though I am an instructor, that doesn't matter. I try to go in with a clean slate. I try to go in as the guy that doesn't know anything, mm. because once I listen to the entire program. It's just like everybody else. You take what works for you, and you use it, and then you put the other stuff aside. It doesn't mean you throw it away. You just put it in your back pocket because there may come a point in time where that is applicable to what is going on, and then you can fall back on it and you can use it. If it works for you, then that's great. If it doesn't, you still have your other skills that you've always used and you've always honed. And, you know, so you're not too far out of your comfort zone. As far as the rest of the students, I think that it went over well. I know the gentleman that we were talking about that had absolutely zero Woods experience, he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And you could see from the, when he first started, when we, when we were talking, when we were introducing each other, um, he was reserved. And at the time when he, we ended the class, you know, he was as giddy as a school kid because, nice. like, he was, you know, it was that wide-eyed, let me go out, let me learn some more. And that's something that you look for in your students, or at least I do, mm. that they, they hunger for more knowledge. And that's the best part of it, right? I mean, that's what we all want to do. We want more knowledge so that we don't become stagnant. At least I do. I mean, if you become stagnant, what happens? I mean, it's just, you know, you lose interest. Right. And then right. I... To hope to never lose interest in this. Yeah. Working your edge is, I believe, the remedy for a slow demise or slip into the abyss of, ah, it's foggy, I don't want to go outside. It, there's this weird, like, cocoon that occurs on people who are landlocked in their house, um, which is why I love winter. I love being out there. I'm out there every day. And then if there's a class, 
I'm out there sharing really cool stuff with people, which is, you know, every weekend or every, you know, three days, if it's a five day after the weekend class. But, and when no one shows up, I do the class anyway for myself. Right. Right. So being outside really engages your senses. It's a, it's a euphemism for not dying. You could, you could sever all of that external influence from the wind, the bird song, the, the rain turning to snow, turning to rain, turning to sleet, which was today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? And how the tracks respond to that, the different smells. We were harvesting uh, pine bark today. We harvested and, pine bark. We harvested willow yesterday. Right? We poured our senses into both of those. And all, all of the plants that we worked with, we can identify by hopefully smell, taste, texture, the way it burns, um, different aspects that you can't get from books or YouTube videos or someone telling you, you have to experience it. There's no other substitute. Uh, I think winter is what culls out the, the apathetic and curiosity seekers who just want to show versus those people who are truly interested in learning and improving and working their own edge. Right. And, and you know, that that's, that's very, very truthful in the fact that People ask me, like, what time of year is my favorite time of year? Well, obviously, for me, it's the winter time. With you know, a name for, like Snow Walker? For several, you know, for, for several reasons. One being that there's less people out there sometimes. And it's not that I don't like people. I just, well, let's just call it spade a spade. I don't like idiots. Right. Okay? So when when you actually, like, when you're on the trail in the summertime, a lot of times you'll, you'll see people that don't have a lot of experience, so, and you try to talk to them. But... And, and trust me, I get it. Some people don't want to be told what to do, and I'm not trying to tell them what to do. I'm just offering advice to help them maybe be a little bit safer right. so that they have a more enjoyable hike. But they look at you like, who are you to tell me this? And then they dismiss you like, I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, but then you hear about it, you know, like up in the Adirondacks especially. Like, I'll talk to my buddies that are rangers, and they're like, you know, sometimes seven out of ten people wind up getting hurt or injured because they you know they don't take the proper precautions they don't have the right gear you know they didn't bring enough water you know one eight ounce bottle of water is not going to get you to the top of mount marcy and back you know um it's going to look good because you got that nice little nylon carrying strap (laughs) that you buy for forty dollars in gucci i guess right and those those snappy looking tifas yeah yeah i mean they're great but you know um but again, you know, I like the winter time, and a lot of people don't experience the winter time. No. Whether it's because they feel uncomfortable in the cold, they don't have the gear, or they just don't think that there's anything out there. But mm. you know, in the winter time, it's a time of recovery, even though things are dead. But there's things that are getting ready to sprout up. Yep. So you actually have to go out and you have to find what's there. And, and I just think it's a, a more enjoyable time. It's a more still time. It's a more calm time. It can be violent. I mean, you see nor'easters come through. I think they call them snow events now. Um, we used to call them snowstorms when I was a kid. That's what they I'm, are. And I'm 55. Yeah. You know, but now they call them snow events, and we've got... Well, you celebrate an event by going out to the food stores and binging on... Bread and milk, dude. Bread and milk. <laughs> think of all the bread and milk sandwiches that you can have. <laughs> Because you need bread and milk. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying. Personally, I would go with fermented hops and barley. 
<laughs> because then I'm drinking my oatmeal. And it doesn't freeze as quickly as Absolutely. As Which, water. by the way, I'd like to say that this is not a paid advertisement, but I am drinking right now Mast Landing Brewing Company's Gunner's Daughter, and it's a milk stout. So I got all the bases covered. I got fermented hops, barley. I got milk. I'm good. There's the challenge. The gauntlet is thrown. I will announce your beer if it beats this one but you have to donate at least a four pack so that i can make a discerned and informative decision absolutely absolutely <laughs> there's no ulterior motive no nope. whatsoever none whatsoever it's all science absolutely um so so anyway i was going to ask you yeah you've done more than dog sled and yep. Yep. you've had i've watched through the years how long have we known each other six, quite a long time six years over six years right over six years because we did that snowshoe building class that's right so man a lot's happened and i've seen you voraciously work your edge in your skill sets what are your favorite if, if you were to break it down i let's narrow it down to winter because there's okay. there's so many skills right so let's focus on winter i know we're working on a project together where we're going to um provide courses regarding winter skills right what are some of your favorite winter skills and to share as well as you just enjoy them because they're not only a skill, they're useful in your day-to-day -day or they're useful on the bush, in the bush or on the trail? Well, snowshoeing, first of all, mm -hmm. is one of the big things that are out there. Um, now, we know that today I expressed my displeasure in post-holing. <laughs> yes, and, you did. I like um, post holing. You know, you like post holing. I don't. <laughs> um, maybe that's the difference in age. But but well, uh, it's not three years, two and a half years. <laughs> but uh, well, maybe it's the fact that you're taller than I am. That's it. Okay. Okay, so you got a, a that makes sense. little bit, you know, better stride than I do. Okay, so I'm short. I'm a potato. Oh, I, I can't roll, but you know, <laughs> I do have eyes and I got short little legs. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm not letting that one go, dude. I'm like a dog with a bone right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it allows us to go out further. Mm -hmm. So now we can start to see things. Yeah. Uh, so then in the wintertime with our snowshoeing, what does that allow us to do when we get to go out further? We get to go, we can go camping mm -hmm. if we want to. So most of the time, um, I don't subscribe to the theory of... Um, you know, just carrying this minimal pack when I'm winter camping. No. I'm going out there to have fun. Yeah. Okay, I'm going out there to work on skills and things of that nature. But, you know, on my toboggan, I have a tent. Mm -hmm. I have a stove. I have all the creature comforts of home. Yeah. I'm going to set up my campsite. You know, I have my axe. I have my buck saw. Yeah. I'm going to process a lot of firewood. It's winter time. Of course you're going to process a right. lot of firewood. So, so I have to just, the audience is vast, and uh, there's a lot of rewilders out there, young 20-somethings, and they're cringing. You know, being young and 20 is the time to do it. 20 to 28 years old, go ahead, go out in the woods naked and get yourself, get your butt kicked. You need to do it. So when you come back, hopefully, you'll be yeah. able to say, yeah, that was stupid. Don't do this. Because when I did that, Right? When you have that under your belt, no one's going to be able to touch you. So, yeah, go out there and get it done. But there's something else when you're done with that. When you're getting your butt kicked by nature, somewhere around 32, 36 years old, you're thinking, 
Yeah, uh, I don't need to take a rock, break it in half, and build a bow drill every time I need a fire because that takes me an hour to three hours, sometimes half a day, sometimes not at all, and I only have a weekend to train because now I have a family or a job or both, yeah. right? So you find your edge in your new situation and you decide to bring a lighter, but maybe you put a, a personal challenge in that day not to use it, but you use it anyway and you don't feel bad because your kids were hungry and they wanted something warm to eat. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's just part of the maturing process. Yeah. Be be young with it, make all your mistakes. Don't die because we're going to need you to that, bring those those pieces of wisdom back to the tribe. Right, and that's exactly it. That's that's gaining wisdom. Mm-hmm. Like I I see it all the time. I see people they go out and they say, you know what? I spent my night out in the woods with my blanket and my tarp, and I look at the pictures, and this these are on like. Instagram, this is on like different things on Facebook and whatnot. And then they show a picture of a blanket and they show a picture of a tarp and they show a picture of a campfire. They say that they spend all night. Well, let me tell you something. You are not spending all night in the Adirondacks at minus 25 degrees with a wool blanket and walking out the next day. No. It's not happening. No. And, and they set these pictures up and it's, it's, Where's your insulation from the ground? They don't yeah. even have any insulation in the ground in the picture. And and you know what? That's I, I just I don't understand it. And I think there's I think there's too many myths about these things. And we start talking about bushcraft and woodcraft and wood lore and everything and it's just it you can go down a rabbit hole just so far. Yeah. And I yeah. think that there needs to be more emphasis on safety and, yeah. and doing things correctly. Being responsible, having backups, redundant backups, and push your edge, push your edge, but have that emergency shelter just over the stream in a place that if you had a twisted ankle and couldn't walk, you could crawl to in less than an hour and a half because that area will have your emergency water, your emergency sleeping bag, your emergency pad, your your chemical hand warmers, your lighters, your tinder bundle, your fat wood, all the things that you would need to make sure you got home. People, look, I'm not going to talk you out of your own ego, but you're useless if you're dead. You're useless if you're dead. So work your edge, but do so responsibly. I mean, to this day... We set up a tarp with all of the stuff we hope we don't have to use, and then we use a landmark like a stream, cross over that into Primitiveville, and we just work rock tools into shelters. But you know what? There's a fallback to it. You're setting up a controlled atmosphere Yes. so that at least you can do it safely. Mm -hmm. So, And if you have somebody that's out there to help you along the way, then that's even better. Right. Okay. Um, You know, it's... uh, you, you want to learn, and you want to hunger for that, but there's nothing wrong with doing it properly. Right. Okay, and, you know, a, a lot of emphasis is always, you know, placed on, well, you got to go so far out into the woods, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. Well, what's wrong with starting in your backyard until you're comfortable with that skill, and then you can go out a little bit further and a little bit further? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you go out, like, let's say you, <laughs> let's say, let's say you don't know how to read ice and you're working on learning how to read ice. Well, five miles into the backcountry, 
walking across a lake and falling into the ice is not the good time (laughs) to start to think about how I'm getting out of this mess that I'm looking at. And and you know what, Mike? I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll give you... Here's a story. I was out one day with my dogs, and and this this the, I I screwed up. I completely screwed up. I got off of work. I it was a training day for my dogs. I knew it was a training day for my dogs, but I got out late. I wanted to get them going, so I get home. I threw them in the harness. I get them all in the truck. We go out and we go. I crossed over a stream. Uh, the stream was probably about twenty feet wide. And it was chest deep. So not an extremely large stream. Right. Okay. But still good enough that if something happened, you know, something could, you know, something could go wrong and something could happen. And that's exactly what wound up happening. I crossed over the stream. I was making my return run. I came back off. And we crossed over the stream again. And I dropped down in. I dropped down in. The sled dropped down in. The three dogs dropped in. Okay. My biggest fear was my dogs yeah okay and i'm scrambling to get my dogs out of the water Mm. okay so as i'm scrambling to get my dogs out of the water okay i get them out i get the sled out i had absolutely zero zero fire making materials Mm. nothing i had absolutely nothing why i got cocky Mm -hmm. i was running behind schedule i wanted to get a training run in so I rolled them around in the snow. I got them in the powder. They were fine. Yeah. They were absolutely fine. Nothing really bothered them. Right? You're talking Alaskan Malamutes. Yeah. Hardy dog. I mean, they looked at me like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Play. You know? Right. Exactly. Play. So by the time I got all done, my hands were just about frozen. And I was on I was on the, 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 uh, the handlebar, the handlebar, and I told my dog Thor, I said, get me home. Get me home. Just go. And he knew to go back to the truck when I said go home. So we got back to the truck. I had to wait. My hands were clubs. I could not get into my car keys, my truck keys to get in. I actually had to sit there and I was beating my hands against the truck to get them to work. And finally, when I got into the truck, I didn't even unhook the dogs. Mm -hmm. I, I tied them off at the snow hook. And the snub line, I left them there on the outside. Like I said, they were fine. Mm-hmm. I turned the truck over, and I had to put my hands on the defrosters for 45 minutes before they would actually start to work. Right. And then I got them in. You know, that was a wake-up call for me to, listen, no matter what it is, got to be safe, and you got to be smart, and you got to think some things out. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So part of our domesticated mind is that we get warning signs, big giant labels on fences that say keep away with dramatic imagery of a person running away from a tsunami or um, electric, you know, lightning bolts coming down and killing somebody. And so we, we dulled on our senses. Nature doesn't have a theme song, a, dr- a dramatic you know, theme song in the background when you're about to do something stupid and kill yourself. It just, it happens, and the chickadees are still singing, and it's still beautiful out, but you you find that you can't operate, and now you have to figure out, wow, I can't use my fill-in-the-blank left foot, hands, and suddenly it's, there's this dark shadow called panic that starts to creep into your brain when when it realizes that you could die, and to offset that, have some training. 
You know what? I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret. Even if the training is wrong, if you start acting in any one direction, nature's going to tell you when you're screwing up because you're not getting warmer or you're not finding your way out or it's not working. And so you have to think for yourself. This is where domesticated mindset fails us. Because we relied on when we were kids on bell schedules and grades, we became a reactive thinker. In the woods, you have to be proactive. You have to think before the situation manifests. Oh, the, there's a lot of pretty clouds in the sky. Well, what does that mean? What is it telling you and what should you do about it? Is there a storm coming? Oh, look at that beautiful sunset. Do you have your shelter ready? Because, you know, when the sun drops, the temperature drops, right? Um, and, and that's a perfect example, Brian, of the... Of, of, no one thinks it's going to happen to them, and that's why it happens to them. For me, it was following deer tracks. You know, this class that we just finished, I normally take the group out, we cross the swamp on the frozen ice, and we pick uh, rose hips, and they're really sweet and delicious, and it's almost as enjoyable as picking raspberries. Mm -hmm. We didn't do it this time. Well, for a number of reasons, but one is I didn't trust the ice. Right. Um, two times prior, and, I, and this is going to be our 30th year, right? so two times prior in this class, I've broken through the ice, and each time was the same thing. I looked at the deer tracks, and we were following the deer tracks, and decided, why are they going around this way? I should take a shortcut. Mm -hmm. And so taking the shortcut, I fell through the ice. Luckily, it was only chest deep, and it was a class kind of like today where, yeah, the weather was miserable, but the temperature was around 30, 32. And so I just used my adrenaline and moving around to overpower the fact that I could have been hypothermic in, in a situation where I was alone. Right. right? So mindset, preparedness proactive attitude and we, we put this all under the umbrella of survival attitude survival attitude isn't just i want to live it's much more involved than that and it's something you have to build especially when you're comfortable because that's when it's most likely to be needed is suddenly the power goes out or a hurricane sweeps up the coast or 9-11 no one expects it because they're comfortable yeah yeah definitely right okay. <clears throat> so, you know, and after that, you know, it was, uh, things changed a little bit. I always had, I always had my, my fire starting materials. I always mm -hmm. had a kit, I you bet. know, and, uh, you know, so you learn from your experiences and luckily I was able to learn from my experience. Yes. And again, you know, like, and, and here, now here's another example. This going falling through the ice is not the time to start thinking about a bow drill off the landscape. Nope, no, it's not. Okay, and you're talking and to a guy who was a purist for two decades and scoffed at bringing lighters into the woods. Um, you know what my motto was after that? I do the dumb things so you don't have to because <laughs> I have a lighter in my pocket every day now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So do I. You got a lighter, you got a ferro rod, yeah, you know, and uh, at least in my pack, I'll have you know. Doubles and triples sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, what's it lighter cost? It lighter costs 99 cents right. or whatever. So, you know, I mean, cheap investment for something that's going to work, you know. Agreed. And, and, you know, you get a little bit of instant gratification. And, yeah. You know, isn't that what all the kids are about now, instant gratification? That's right. If you don't feel good, don't do it. Right. So. so it's like nobody wants to take the time to learn. Yeah. You know, and. And that's the scary thing, that everybody wants it now. Right. And, you know, I'm not a tinfoil hat wearer, but I do track. I've seen you wear tinfoil. <laughs> but not as a hat. <laughs> I've seen you wear tinfoil, dude. Don't lie. Okay? All right. I might have, but 
It's not a deli. It's a solar collector. It's a solar collector. It's a solar collector. It's to regrow my water. thinning hair. <laughs> the doctor said it would help. <laughs> uh, we let's uh, we we went off on tangents. We weren't supposed to do that, right? Oh, we're supposed to do that. This is we're we're done with the class. I want to just kind of decompress and hang out. Okay. And I don't get to see you enough because you're down in that other place. Oh, that, um, New York. Yes, as opposed to old York. Oh wait, we don't want to get into a political thing, right? Like I can't. I can't say cell phones and politics go at the end of the driveway with oh. cigarette smokers. Oh dang! <laughs> Communist New York, what? What? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Thankfully, the Adirondacks are beautiful and intact because um, I have a special place in my heart for a place that I've only been to twice. And Which one? one? Where? Lake Placid. Oh, yeah. I there's, go there all the time. been going here since 83. There's a Hoods in the Woods program near there called Aspen. I've never run, heard of it up there. Well, they run a bunch of programs. And it's near the... Uh, the Saranac Lake? Very near Saranac Lake. Or by Paul Smith's. Um, near the reservation, the, the Iroquois Reservation. Okay. And I went down there two years in a row to do, um, well, basically it was kind of emotional first aid for the counselors. Okay. Because they were getting drained. And we did, you know, a lot of things like stalking in the water to make no ripples and um, having sit spots. You know, one of the things I like about winter and winter skills. I had a sit spot in Saranac Lake. You did? I did. It was called Waterhole Number 3. Oh, I bet. It, it is. It's still there. Wait, do they sell growlers? Well, they don't have growlers in there now, but... I might have been there. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. I go to that place, but I go to my buddy's restaurant and bar, and ah, we're going off the tangent again. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's good. No, no, no. <laughs> go, go. <laughs> so, yeah, we would do, like, awareness activities. One of the things, and that brings me back to the whole idea of winter, in, when you're out in the woods, it makes you confront who you are. Your thoughts don't yeah. get distracted by telephones or television or someone in your face or an appointment. And it's just quiet wind blowing. And you see people, and I tell them, man, you leave your cell phones in this little designated area with the cubbies and the chargers because we're going to plug into something different. Yeah. And that, that thing, that different thing, is a reflection of who you are. If the birds and the squirrels are fleeing so far ahead of you, you don't see them, that's a comment on what you're carrying into the woods. If instead... They just hook up and they, they either chatter at you or they sing. That's a, that's still an honest commentary of what you're bringing into the woods. Right. Why are you carrying that stuff? Does it help you? Can, can it further your vision? Is it what gets you up in the morning? And if so, does it bring a smile to your face or a scowl? Um, perfume. 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 I think I told you about this last year. Go ahead. I was out hiking in one of my trails that I, I frequent all the time. And you want to talk about awareness. Right. So you, you talk about awareness. And oh, I'm just yes, sitting there. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sitting there, and all of a sudden, I catch it on the wind. And I catch the perfume going across my nose in the wind. And I was like, there's a chick out here, and she's hiking. Right. 20 minutes later, here comes the dog, here comes the girl. And that 20 minutes, can you imagine? Like, I could not believe that, that you can, that, that the, the scent actually carried. Right. So... I mean, she must have, like, just shampooed in it or something. She must right. have just washed in it. I and mean, here's here's the thing. I bet she didn't smell it. You, and we all have these little measly noses, could smell it. And I bet that dog didn't even notice it anymore because that dog probably accepts that as baseline. Right, right. Right? Right. So just that one message carried on the wind. Right. 
pretty cool, huh? Yeah, and it was. And then, of course, you listen to the birds. Yeah. And the birds are going to tell you that there's something approaching. Right. You know, if it's not you, obviously. Yeah. You know, but... And over time, yeah. you, you get to know the difference. And there's this catch-22 that happens. As you see the difference in the bird alarms, as you affect them, the birds alarm less. Right. Right. So... Yeah, it was pretty good. And, and But you're right. You know, like in the wintertime, you are alone with your thoughts at times. And it can be very, very you know, rewarding to just like, kind of like, just hang back and just watch everything. And again, you know, it's one of those things. And I was telling somebody the other day, and of course, you know, I get sucked into the social media thing too. So I'm always putting stuff up on Instagram and, and stuff like that. And unfortunately, that is the tide that we live in. Yeah. And some of it is necessary. And that's maybe... a sticky trap, man. I, how many, can I ask you a question? Yeah. All right. For me personally. Yeah. What I post is 10% of what I write, and I end up deleting 90% of it because I look at it and go, what kind of ripple is that going to leave? And I delete it, and I get mad, and I have to express what I was going to say to a family member in the house right. so it doesn't go out there, but it gets out of me. Right. Do you ever do that? It's No. You know what I do? I start writing, and then sometimes I feel like I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly, mm -hmm. so then that's when I... I delete everything again i leave the picture and i just put a short short little note about it right or something of that nature because unfortunately it's like one of those things are people actually reading the whole thing or are they just looking at the picture right you know but where i was going with that was is that i was explaining like what i had said previously you don't have to go far mm. you know to actually look at things and take things in and, and learn like the other day, we had a snowstorm. Well, if you want to call it a snowstorm, um, we had four inches drop, and there was nothing really walking around for a couple of days. And I looked out one day and I saw tracks. I saw tracks along my fence line, my arbor vitae. I knew from the track, the length of the stride, that it wasn't a deer. Mm. I knew it was no deers, no deers, no deer. Look at this. I had one beer. I'm talking deers. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Deers. Like over there, the deers. You think the deer, like you're out hunting. Oh. And it presses this cool, clear lips down to the water. And bam! Right in the head. You know, see, now hey, we're going hey, off hey, on hey. a tangent again. You know, I know. I got a guy. His name is Joey Bagatonas. He, he hunts flocks of deers. Yeah. So, so I knew it wasn't a deer. So I had to wait until I got off of work. And then when I went out, I, I backtracked. And I found it was a red fox. Mm. Red fox came out of my neighbor's backyard, came along my line, chased a squirrel, waited, did a pronk, long story short, and then walked along the arbor vitae. He was looking for the rabbit nice. that was in the arbor vitae, which, of course, a lot of times you don't get to see the actual pads right. in a rabbit track, but because it was there and it was fresh, you actually did. So I, and I got pictures. It was stalking. It, right. And I was, I was putting pictures up of that and I yes. thought it was really cool. But the, the whole point of cool it, me. the whole point of it was, is that, you know, you can see things and you don't have to go far. Mm. You know, like if you're uncomfortable in the winter time, you still don't have to go far. Yeah. Maybe it's just right outside your door. Yeah. So take advantage of it. Right? Why, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Why short, why shortchange yourself yes. of a, of a learning opportunity when it's right there, mm -hmm. you don't have to go far. It's right there. Agreed. You know, and your, and your I, backyard is your palette for learning the outdoor rhythms. And if you don't think 
you don't, if you don't think you have wild animals moving through your woods or your, your little strip of, you know, boundary or your rock wall or your garden, mm, you need to get out more. <laughs> yeah. A, there's a yeah. lot going on plant, out there. Plant a garden. Yeah. Plant, plant a garden and watch what happens. Right. Put a, put a bird feeder out. Yeah. You know, you put a bird feeder out, just know you're feeding the hawks. You're feeding the owls, and mm. you're also feeding the squirrels, which can be a little disconcerting for people who want to see beautiful birds. You're not going to see just beautiful birds. You're going to see what you have on your landscape, and you're going to learn about their rhythms, their feeding behaviors, who comes in first, who disappears first when there's a threat, the difference between the male, you know, the, the male man or male lady dropping off a package versus a hawk swooping through or a bicyclist going down your road. These birds are going to teach you a lot. Yep, that too, and then you get the occasional five hundred pound bear that wants to sit there and rip your feeder down <laughs> and eat all the black oil sunflowers. Right, seeds. and I think that's a cool price of admission. Oh, that is a cool price of admission, <laughs> except when he steals the forty pounds of bird seed off the back of your deck and you catch him on a game cam, and you're like, "Son of a bitch, he took it!" <laughs> or he trashes your ninety to one hundred twenty dollar feeder because <laughs> it's squirrel proof. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's that's really great. Yay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, but what? it's real, right? It you is. can't deny it. And that, you know, I think there's too many people out there who need those sorts of reality checks, but there's no PC way to deliver them. And no. it certainly isn't on any one person to deliver those things. But PC? It, uh, Price chopper? Personal computer. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, we don't swear like that here, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, when those things happen, it is our responsibility as peer mentors, as friends, as family, as community members to either help somebody out of the trench they put themselves in or show them that there is a way out. We can't go in that hole with them, though, because if you start getting into somebody else's trouble, then there's two people drowning. And that's just a waste that's of everybody's time. Yeah. Right? You can offer suggestions. You can lead by example. You can say, hey, may I give you a hand? But in the end, people choose whether or not to be victims or heroes of their own story. You can't take those choices away. And if, it, if it's hurting you too much to try to, it's time to love enough to know when to walk away. Yeah. Oh, that got deep fast. It did. Let's go back to Dang. lighthearted. Winter is wait, fun. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> okay. Why does Batman wear dark clothes? Why? He doesn't want to get shot. <laughs> Wait, why does Robin wear brightly colored clothes? Go ahead. Because Batman doesn't want to get shot. <laughs> Robin! <laughs> oh, and it makes me wish I had more Gunner's daughter. Oh my I'm not goodness. breaking into it right well, now. Well, I'm glad I stopped that too. <laughs> okay then. Dang. Yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I was going to ask so, you about... The um, Atlatl? The At... Wait... The Addle? The Addle Addle? The At Addle. Dang, you're another one that pronounces it wrong. Addle Addle. No. At? At Laddle. At Laddle. At Laddle. I said that, At Laddle. Yeah, but tomorrow you won't. It'll take a few times to all get right. in there. At well, Laddle. all right. Primitive skills and bushcraft skills. Oh, yeah. There's right? a question. Yeah, there's a question for how you. Do, how do primitive skills... And bushcraft skills support each other. What are some of the crossovers, okay, well, and what are some of the, hey, these guys got some cool stuff that we need, and vice versa. Okay. In your opinion, and then I'll, I'll kind of bounce off of what you got. All right. Um, I, 
what's a bushcraft skill? Hmm. How do we define this? Because All right. now, do you want my un unfiltered uh, opinion? Because that might well, piss people off. Well, here's here's what I'm looking at. Right. Okay, the word bushcraft in and of itself is being used as a descriptor for for things now. So it's things? like, yeah, like what's the best bushcraft knife? Oh. So, like, I mean, like, when you walk into Smoky Mountain Knife Works, you go look at a guy and go, hey, man, where's your bushcraft knives? Yeah. All right. Okay, so now right. you got bushcraft the knife, you got bushcraft the toilet paper, you got bushcraft the tarp. I mean... So if you spray paint it black, it becomes an assault bushcraft? I, well, if you talk to Chuck Schumer, that's the way it is with all the guns. Okay. But you might want to edit that one out. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> you all right? You choking? You, got I, the, you need better. the Heimlich maneuver? <laughs> I'm better now. Yeah, we're going to have to edit a few things, but right now it's going really good. Yeah. So bushcraft right. is right. subjective is what right. you're saying. So, so, I mean, what are we talking in terms of bushcraft? Okay, so because I would say skill. Let's get skill-centered, you know, for, and I'm biased, isn't right? Isn't that woodcraft, though? Daniel C. Beard called it woodcraft. Isn't it the same thing? Woodcraft is skill-centered and bushcraft is not skill-centered? No, isn't... Bushcraft is skill-centered. Okay. But so is woodcraft. Yeah, I agree with that. What, what makes... What's the difference? Hmm. So now ask somebody, what's the difference between woodcraft... And bushcraft. And bushcraft. Ah. Uh, all right, so can I give you mine? Yeah. All right. So Rock it. For me, primitive skills starts off with this idealist... We're purists. We're going to go out naked, break a rock in half, and come out 30 years I'm not afraid, later. though. Yeah, and I don't know if primitive skills should be afraid. I think there's this angst that came along with rewilding that brought this weird kind of politically correct kind of anger to primitive skills. Like, screw society, we're going to go live in the woods. Okay, and then when you get done getting thrashed by the woods or denuding the entire forest for your selfish needs, come back and join us because we're trying to still figure it out. That, to me, is primitive skills. Now, primitive skills in its purity... I'm all for. I want people to go out there and you know in the temples of creation and find their edge. And you're gonna find your edge, mm -hmm. especially when winter comes by. Right. You're barefoot or you got muckalucks, but no firewood, no community to support you. You're gonna find your edge. You're not gonna make it through winter, mm -hmm. guaranteed. And I don't want people to get you know all dead because they want to prove me wrong. The next one, bushcraft. So bushcraft to me is adult Boy Scouts. And I'm not trying to say that in a demeaning way, but mm -hmm. for all of the good things that Boy Scouting provided when it was a good program, how to do knots and hitches and lashings, build pioneer towers, bridges across things, determine the height of a tree by using an axe and triangulation, um, edibles and medicinals, wildlife tracking, a lot of the things that were kind of weaned out by Texas lawyers because of libel suits. Um, we can now do as adults, and with bushcraft, we can take it to an even higher, more refined level. You know, five-course meals with Dutch ovens over fires and coals and spits and reflector ovens and canvas tents and bringing back the old technologies of the pioneers and reading Kephart and, you know, reinfusing all of that stuff. The problem for me, though, is it's hooked or it's linked to a certain degree of technology. And the plus is that families can go out and bushcraft basically go on a weekend camping trip as primitively as they possibly can without sacrificing their comfort and still develop skills. And it's a lifelong pursuit that is very enjoyable and sustainable. That's where my definition of bushcraft is. Where does woodcraft differ? 
All right, so woodcraft is more like, now I'm gonna buy block planes and draw knives and linseed oil, and I'm gonna create to the highest degree of, of artistry that I can, or craftsmanship that I can, a bow, a pair of snowshoes. Maybe, maybe I'll build my own draw shave bench, and from there produce kookskas and, and you know beautifully ornate spoons with twists in the handle. So woodcraft takes bushcraft in specific directions to a higher degree of skill level, in my opinion. So that's where I am with the whole, like, these are the realms as they are presenting themselves and how I interpret them. Okay. See, now, when, I, when you say primitive skills to me, I don't necessarily look at it as an old skill. Mm. I just look at it as the technology of the time. Oh, okay. Okay. So, let's take flint napping. Flint napping, for all intents and purposes, for the conversation, Mm. was the very first primitive skill that I delved into. Okay. And that basically came for my love of archaeology. And then looking at different projectile points that were created, stone tools. Right. Okay. By the Native Americans. Indigenous peoples, however you want to call it. I hope nobody chides me for that. Right. Okay? Don't put a label on things, folks. And don't label me. Right. You're not going to like the answer. Here's the deal. I had a Clovis point. I looked at a Clovis point. I have a friend of mine that has the largest Clovis point collection in the state of Pennsylvania. Nice. He has 300 Clovis points that came from Pennsylvania. Not Jamie Leffler. No. Okay. No. No, Gary Fogelman, okay. the guy that pronounces Atlatl, Atlatl. Atlatl. <laughs> okay. I will never find a Clovis point. Most of your Clovis points, you know, most of your Clovis sites mm-hmm. are gone. Mm. You know, you can't find them. And whether they're underwater, there's different types of theories behind them, whatever. Right. So I thought, well, you know what? If I can't find one, I'd at least like to make one. Nice. So I started flint napping. Oh, and cool. I sat in my driveway and I made more gravel <laughs> in five months. I would buy stone and I would turn it into gravel. I gotcha. would buy stone and turn it into gravel. And then one day I actually tried to make a Clovis point. Now, Clovis technology is very difficult. It's a point that's been around for over 10,000 years. It's still a very, very difficult point. Right. to make. It's got overflaking. It's got lots of different theories behind it to make flutes. Some people do it by hand. I do it by hand. Other people use a jig. They make flutes. Okay, fine. That took me into that. But then from there, it took me into throwing the atlatl. Mm. And then when I started throwing the atlatl, then I became proficient enough to compete on a world level. Nice. Okay. So those were my first two primitive skills. But but it, but it wasn't primitive. They're still using the atlatl today. The atlatl is, was one of the only weapons that, first of all, propelled man into the modern world of hunting. Right. Okay. And it was used on every continent. Yes. Yep. Every single continent. Okay. So. And but, but it, was, it, it preempted the bow. It was correct. well before it the did. bow and arrow. Well before the bow and arrow. And it. Uh, I just lost my train of thought. It must be a beer. Um, the uh, it was the technology of the time. So everything advances. 
Right. The computer that you have today is not the computer that you had in 1970 right. or whenever it came out. Okay. Does it make it any less? No, it just makes it more advanced. Yeah. Okay. So you're still talking the technology of the time. Now, you've given a description of bushcraft right. and of woodcraft. Well, what if we took off the bush and we took off the wood just and just craft. called it crafting? Yes. Holy crap. Now people are going to be like, what are you talking about? Holy craft. Why, why is it crafting? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, are you talking about, like, you know, Quint, when he was in Jaws, he was talking about, uh, you've got Mr. Whitey, and he comes along and he takes your net, and your net's 3,000 pounds, and Mr. Whitey comes along and cuts it up like a doll, cuts off a paper, scissors, and hurry up. Right. Okay? We're not talking about that. It's crafting. Yeah. Isn't it just isn't it just crafting? Can't we just why does there have to always be a title or a name to something? And people get into arguments about that. I I just you know, because I think crafting plays an important role in what you're doing. I, agree. I mean, if you if you know how to make something that's going to help you, then you're sure as hell gonna know how to repair it. If you bought it. Yeah, with a sailor's needle. Oh, oh, a sail needle? You mean like the guys that sit on the docks and they use the sail needle? And it's for it's for sails. Yes, it's for sails. Now, there's a lot of people that carry sail needles, and I'm not saying that it's bad. But well, I, I was going for the Jaws analogy, because I wouldn't use a sail needle in the woods. No, I wouldn't either. I'd use a glover's needle, because yeah. at least a glover's needle is chiseled. It's uh, three sides that are sharp, and then it goes through most things. Right. I wouldn't use a sail needle to, to like... I, and I certainly wouldn't use a sail needle for stitches. I gotta tell you, no, that's no, useless. That's crazy. That's how you. That's that's common combining acupuncture and recklessness yeah. in your sewing. So, but that's me. Yeah, that's me anyway. But anyhow, right um, tool for the right job. Right tool for the right job. Right, and that's a craft. Yep. Right, whether it's bush or wood or alpine or outdoor or nature. You know, it's funny. I used to change my terminology for the audience when this when the military survival instructors came here i would use terms like tactical and low profile and high speed and when the unity college professors and students came here i would say DC crap uh yeah i would say uh minimum impact and low impact and blending in and caretaker attitude it's the same thing it's the same approach we're just using different parts of our brains to get there um, but when it comes down to it the skills are universal. It doesn't matter your affiliation, your background, your your language of choice or origin. A bowling will work for you if you know how to tie it, and it's not going to be available to you if you don't. So there's, there's a skill set that's undeniable in all of those disciplines, and if we focused on building that as our common ground, then we could create what I call you know, arenas of best practices. I could talk to a bushcrafter or a woodcrafter without them crossing their arms and rocking back and forth on their heels as if they already, quote-unquote, know it all. And there's no exchange in that. There's no exchange in hitting that brick wall. And I, I would hope that I could reciprocate and be receptive to folks with skills that I want to learn. Because, you know, to tell you the truth, one of the, one of the addictions of having this school for nearly 30 years is how much I learn from my students. Yeah, right. Your right. teacher, your teachers come in all shapes and sizes and colors. Amen. And and if and what I used to like to do a lot of times is I used to look for that. I used to look for that one little nugget mm. of information that you could get 
right. from an individual because you know why? Because that guy comes from a different background. Yeah. You know, or uh, excuse me, that guy or that girl. My bad. Okay. And I'm not going to go any further with that. It's guy or girl. Okay. That's it. You're going to look for that nugget. The way you laugh it. I'm just having a good time, man. Okay. Because you know, you know that you're laughing now, so you know I'm going to go down the path of least resistance. All right, so I'm not going to laugh at that. <laughs> I'm laughing at your recorrection and how professional it was. Yeah. So, but I mean, they come from different backgrounds. Right. All people come from different backgrounds. It doesn't matter if you share things in common. Yep. You, everybody has a different experience. Everybody has a different way of doing things. Mm. One way is not always the right way at any given time. Right. Yeah, so like, again, our, our students, we can learn a lot from them mm. as well. And and that's what I try to look for because even no matter what it is, if you get that one little nugget of information that works, yeah. there you go. You right. know, and, and I hope that I impart people with, you know, some stuff that they may not know. Or at least if they did know something or they, they, uh, they did this, you know, they do a skill the same way like I may do a skill. Mm -hmm. Maybe I just help reinforce it or maybe they remember it from, you know, maybe they've forgotten it. Yes. Because all these skills are perishable. Yep. We always have to practice them. We always have to go back to them. Mm. and don't kill yourself don't beat yourself up if like let's say let's just say you were working on knots dakota was working on knots today right right and remember what he said he said well i forgot how to do this so i kind of needed a refresher and i got to go back to it yeah. i know it but i need a refresher well why beat yourself up now is the time to do it yep you know and like let's say in the winter time now is the time hey you don't want to go outside it's snowing maybe you grab a piece of cord and you'd start doing your knots right is that bushcraft that's inside i i don't know i don't know is there is there a parameter on how far you have to be away from your house uh, 15 yards wait if you could well, sit and hit your wait, house but it's not bushcraft. is there a spoon involved oh really are we going there <laughs> Is it, put, a, is it a metal spoon or a wooden spoon? No, a wooden spoon. You got to make it. Okay, now you got to put. That's a, woodcraft. Ah, you know we could go down a bad road. Unless with you didn't have a knife and you had a rock and a coal, and you started your fire with a bow drill, then that might be primitive skills. Dang. What but if, if you what drove if you there got, with a BMW, you got a thumb drill? Oh, what if you got a thumb drill? The old with a bic? big thumb thumb drill. Yeah. If you pulled up in a Volvo or a European what car, what about a Subaru? Especially Subaru. Then that is. Rewilding. No farms, no beer, man. No <laughs> farms, no beer. I'm just telling you right now. You know what? It's just going out in the woods and playing, really, isn't it? it really I think is. so. Yeah. I mean, let's. Is everything. Is anything new? No. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Is yeah. anything new? And hopefully, in my line of work, hopefully not. Because <laughs> I can't keep up. Well, let's. When did Daniel C. Beard write his book? What? That was like 1932. To, yeah, and before that, there was Ernest Tom, Thomas Seaton in 1908. Right. And then we had Nesmuk. Yeah. So, you know what? Now, there's something. There's, there's some, something that's there's funny. There's some cave paintings. With Let's, we talk about, a, lot, a lot of people talk about Nesmuk and how he was ultra light. Right. But the one thing that I think they fail to realize is that Nesmuk, if you actually read not Woodcraft and Camping... But if you read the letters to the Adirond, you know, K 
canoeing in the Adirondacks, which is all the letters that he wrote prior. Right. And he was sending them to Field and Stream when that magazine was there because he was a writer for Field and Stream. They failed to realize that a lot of his journeys started from a hotel that he was staying in. Yeah. If he didn't like the weather, he didn't go canoeing. Yep. And, oh, by the way, in the late 1800s in the Adirondacks, there was a camp every 1,500 feet. Yeah. There was some kind of camp, yeah. a guide camp, that he would hook up in. Why would he need to carry anything? No. Why would he need to carry a lot? Yeah, and the camps, even to this day, are stocked with firewood. Right. Rangers come around and make sure that things are tip-top. You know. Right. Um, so I, I, you know... It's, it's, let's not, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to look at everything like that. And I'm not saying that everything that Nesmuk weighed, because if you look in that one book, Woodcraft and Camping, he starts talking about weights. Mm -hmm. now, I've actually held the Sari Gamp. Right. I went to the Adirondack Museum, and because I'm a member there, I got to hold it. I got to pick it up. And yes, it does weigh 10 pounds. Wow. That's it. That's all that canoe weighs. That's a pretty cool canoe. But I also think that you have to bear in mind a lot of the things that Nesmuk carried were specifically sized for him. He was not a very big man. He was right. a very small man, and he wound up having emphysema too. Yeah. So that that you know what that's for another conversation. We can talk about that. Yeah. You know, we can talk about Capar. But all those guys were doing it then, right? And it just was just reemphasized. Oh yeah. You know, and as it's, it it's the same material, just repackaged. Right, and it's just packaging. Yeah. You know, and and, and I, I just I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I get, sometimes I get kind of, I don't want to say upset with the community because I don't. I don't get upset with the community. I just like disappointed. For me. Disappointed. Yeah. When people aren't working their edge into into areas that take them deeper into their own personal skills and then find an enthusiasm in that journey and want to share it with people, I think they lose their, I don't know, their their edge, their spark with being educators of outdoor skills. If it's rote and business-like, it becomes sterile and impersonal. And it's a very personal journey. And when you're part of that journey, there's this... I feel thankful. I feel like I'm in awe that people would take the time out of their lives to come learn the skills. And there's this, I don't know what it is. Maybe, you know, when we're young, we're, we want to be warriors for our people. I feel like I need to be of best service to the folks who come and want to learn the skills to them by bringing my best game and working my edge and being honest with what I don't know so that we are sharing a journey. We're not top-downing anything. We're sharing an experience. And... Humility will come whether you want it or not. So when I get on a bow drill, if I don't get a fire, you know what? That's kind of like real life, and I got to be present with that. You know, so. You mean you've never had a you 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 don't put your bow drill set up in the dashboard of your car and let it dry for a week and a half? Oh no! You no. actually keep it real. Well, here's one that I've learned from a twenty-something, twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old, and I, you know, I say kid because I'm fifty-two and a half. He burns his bow drill with the fire he makes with it so that every time he has to create a new one off the landscape so his skills stay sharp. Nice. Now, that, that is something that, you know, new standard brought to me by right. someone half my age. Right. Right. And if you, if you don't have that humility, you haven't been out in the woods enough to get embarrassed by, here, here's homework for you. 
Go in front of the people you love at a barbecue and say, hey, anybody want to see a bow drill fire? Take the set that you've dialed in and see what happens. You want to be humbled? That's the best way yeah. to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I've been humbled. I've been humbled. You know, you go out there and, and fire will humble you. Yes. It will. When yes. you want that fire the most, you're going to be like, <laughs> wonder why I don't have a fire today. Right. You know, so, right. yeah, it does happen. And that's real life. It sure is. Well, so. I wanted to um, just announce that we've been working for man, over two years on the idea of getting a series of classes going. Um, and there's, when I say series, I guess I mean more than one series. We have the main guide series and we have the winter skills series, but... Maybe another time we could talk about the main guide series because right now we're just coming out of winter and planning for the winter series going into next winter. Which, right, right. You know, it might seem a little early, but it, I actually feel like we're a little late. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you don't want to make gear for the winter in the winter. No. You want to have it prior. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's called prior preparation? That's right. Yeah. Right? What's that thing called again in the military? You were in the military. I was in law enforcement. Um, so. Something Prior planning, piss poor, poor performance, performance, and all that stuff. Not my problem. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like oh, he did it. Yeah. He should have done it. Yeah, your lack of preparedness is not my emergency. Yeah, Wait, there you something go. like that. So, yeah. yeah, so, so what are we looking at? We're looking at hey, we want to start doing some snowshoe classes. We want to yep. actually explain to people how snowshoes are made and get them on lacing their own and lace their own you know mm-hmm. we'll get some frames and then we can lace them and then they yeah. they have a pair of snowshoes when they leave and i think we'll, we'll probably bend a frame just uh, here's a here's a tree that we could harvest yeah this is one that we've already harvested similar to the characteristics of the ones we showed you and then uh, we'll put it in the boiler we'll wrap it around a frame and we'll have a frame to show how it's done but most of the work the devil in the details is the lacing right so i'm really excited about sharing that that's fun right um, then we you, can learn all the hitches with using, yeah. you know, uh, using Lampwick. People you don't know. realize how simple it is to make your own snowshoe bindings. And they go out and they buy these cumbersome freeze when it's too cold or slushy. Um, your foot pops out of them. Man, the, the simplest approach is the most effective. Right. So I'm, right. I'm really excited. To or share they that. go out and they get the, the whiz banger, yes. you know, all metal snowshoe. And then they go out and then they realize that the... Stuff that they, the plastic just doesn't really hold up and then it breaks. Yeah. And then, so now you have to learn how to fix that. So right. we're going to touch into that, how to fix a snowshoe binding. Yeah. You know, what you're going to, you know, what are you going to do? Well, you, you may on a new pair of tubs, which isn't tub snowshoes anymore, which is actually sad because they, unfortunately, tubs sold out to K1 years oh, ago. No. So it's no longer a family run business. Ah, you know, uh, they're made, you know, out of China and, you know. They get kind of broken, and then, you know, yeah. you have to create a binding somehow. Right. You know, and so then... I, we're talking about snowshoes, and I just saw this on my desk from one of the last snowshoes I carved. It's just a heel stripe. It was in a snowshoe. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there you go. Right. So, badass. Yeah, and you're, you've been working on a project for a while, um, making toboggans, and from what I've seen, you've been getting really good at it. I gave you one. Didn't you like it? I the test drive was like I wasn't pulling anything. Yeah. So zero friction. And I love the color because it's it blends in with the snow perfectly. Right. So it's quiet. It's low profile. Yeah. You can haul. I would from pulling it today. Would you say three hundred pounds is too much? No. Not at okay. Because you know I'm I'm using these jet sleds to haul firewood, and this thing is like a Lamborghini compared to a jet sled. Right. 
Right. Just amazing. Right. Uh, so we're and it's it's a it's and here you go. Here's a hybrid. Okay. Yeah. It's an old fashioned toboggan. Right. Okay. Just like the ones that LL Bean used to sell, yep. where you used to grab the ropes on the side and go down a hill and have a good time. That are you know being used and, since the Bronze Age and before. Right. And you know uh, anybody that's into reenacting knows that most of the time the natives were using toboggans yes. to pull all their gear, their trapping gear and things like that, which is very applicable. You can use it for that. I use it for winter camping. I'm pulling my crap all over the place. Right. So there and you go. Transportation in the winter is nothing to sneeze at. If you don't have snowshoes and the snow's deep, you can exhaust yourself. You, a mile would be something to to gasp at after your first half mile in knee deep snow. Yeah, but it isn't that hard because they're only carrying ten pieces of gear, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, we're only yeah. carrying a ten piece kit. <laughs> and a, even without a lightweight backpack or a possibles bag, you're going. You know, Craig McDonald. Do you know Greg? Craig? No, I don't. Craig McDonald was a, a ranger up in Canada, mm -hmm. and he made the analogy that. Uh, in the wintertime, you should not carry any more than 20 pounds on your back in the wintertime, specifically so that you wouldn't uh, sweat right, and that you would have at least freedom of movement. And he said everything else should be on a toboggan. I, I, I agree. You know, and yeah. I mean, there was a guy that was in the Alaskan bush for years, years, yeah. you know, huge usually knowledgeable individual well the sami use toboggans the Cree. uh there's there's native use of sled technologies that you pull behind you wherever there's snow sure so there must be something sure. to it look at a big comatex look at a big comatex that they're using in alaska you know the inuits mm -hmm. you know i mean it's not the same obviously but it's a sled right you know and yes the a lot of times they're being you know they're being pulled by 20 sled dogs and a fan hitch yeah okay but look at the loads that they're carrying right you know yeah impossible to put on your back without disappearing in you know what a base of eight feet of snow right you're going down so, <laughs> so we've got the the snowshoe class we've got the toboggan class we're going to start doing clothing yes. you know people are going to be able to make their own mitts you know, learn the theories behind mitts. You right. can make a pair of over mitts. We're going to do maybe a blanket shirt and, you know, a hunting cloak or yeah. things well, of that nature. Well, i got to find a term for the ice one we're going to do with ice picks and poles. And, and general safety, maybe. Yeah, or, but reading the ice is important. Sure. You know, all of these things so that you can navigate the, the frozen waterways with a degree of safety and responsibility. Um, you know, our Native ancestors would follow these rivers, frozen rivers and lakes, but with discernment not just hey there's an open flat spot let's take the easiest route right. so and a lot of times you're going to be traveling on ice for the very simple reason that it's easier to travel on ice because it's windblown yeah and it's packed yeah and it's a little bit harder and now take that away and go into the woods what happens if you're like got a snow drift of like you know five feet right and yeah, powder it, doesn't it, mind a snowshoe It'll suck it in just as easily as your foot. Yeah, and then what happens if you get off that trail? Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Oops. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're doing the backstroke. You're right. doing the turtle. And tree wells are deadly. Yeah. They it can well, be. Tree wells, speaking of tree wells, that's what happened to that couple in uh, the Adirondacks on Algonquin. They made the peak, right? They made the summit. Mm -hmm. He got lost. He got disorientated, never took a compass heading. He walked off with her, oh, walked off the side, and he went into a tree well. And that's where they were. Okay, they fell 13, 13, 13 or 30 feet. I can't remember exactly. Oh, boy. When did they find them in the spring? No. 
No, the the Rangers found him alive. The Rangers found him. Oh, okay. But funny story with that was is that a buddy of mine. Uh, there's two approaches to mm-hmm. Algonquin, and he had the backside approach. He was wearing a uh, pair of tubs, 36, 36-inch tubs, and on the good snow, it was up to his waist. Yeah. On the bad snow, the snow was as deep as his chest. Right. Powder it don't care. took him seven hours to go seven-tenths of a mile. Yeah. And, and that, imagine how many calories he burned doing that. Oh, yeah. And here's the other thing, too. He told me, because I had talked to him, uh, he had stripped down to just his base layer underneath his shell. Mm-hmm. because he was exerting so much. And then by the time he got to where they were, and then they had radio communication, and they said, hey, listen, we got him. Right. You know, do you want us to, to come in? And they were going to airlift him out. They didn't airlift him out. He said, no, we'll stay for the night. So wow. they actually dug in snow shelter, and they nice. stayed the night. And then they came back the next day, and then they got him out. There you go. And yeah, bang. success. I'm but but there's, a, there's a typical example of... <laughs> Oh, orienteering. Orienteering. Right. Yep. We're going to provide some classes with that. Navigation. Yep. Important. Um, yeah. So outside of this school, you also teach and you also instruct via video. What, what kind of information do you want to share with folks so that they can learn more about uh, what you have to offer? Um, they can. I have a website. I think I plugged that. The, I did the shameless plug. Yeah, do it again. In, in we're, the, we're near the end, the, so this will be, <laughs> they forgot. So. The the shameless plug for uh, my YouTube channel is actually Snowwalker13. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can go there. If they just type in Snowwalker Outdoors, it'll pop up in the search engine. Um, and there is a website. It's the cheap one. It's the free one. It's uh, snowwalkeroutdoors.weebly.com. They can go there. And I have some stuff on there. I'm actually going to be more active in my blog okay cool. i'm finding that blogs you know if you can write a few things maybe people get some more tangible information mm-hmm. versus a video and and i gotta be honest the, the video thing is um unless you have you know you can beat the youtube algorithms for me right i mean i i don't get many views and i actually have a pretty good you know showing i have like nineteen thousand subscribers nice but i get like 700 views uh, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully we'll do more of these podcasts. We'll know, I guess, after this one airs, huh? You'll find out. I got this whole analytics thing now. I'm trying to figure out. So yeah, once I figure that's that awesome. Out. I'm gonna push it too. I'll push right. it. I'll push it on my channel. Oh, sweet, cool. You know. So I'll work on the editing piece. Which I'll take. Maybe, maybe after this podcast, you'll you'll send me an email and say, "Listen, your services are no longer required no, up no, here." No, <laughs> no. The, the broadest spectrum of experience and. Uh, voice is needed to get as much of this skill set out to as many people as possible as we can that's my battle cry and i'm sticking to it all right so this is mike and, and mr potato head and brian <laughs> snowwalker outdoors and uh, we'll talk to you soon stay on the trail and have fun Take rock care. on thank you for joining us around our electronic campfire It is our intent that the time you invest here increases your bounty and encourages more mutually beneficial relationships between you, your landscape, and the rest of your community. Now go out there, enrich the world, have fun doing it, and don't get caught.